1 Peter 3, 1-7. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the world, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braided the hair, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person in the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women, all, women also hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you, and you have become the ch- her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you and thank you for this gathering of worshipers today. We ask that you just bless this sermon, bless our bless this worship, and uh, and bless Michael uh, as he uh, uh, delivers your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Have you ever, um, have you ever been told something um, that you didn't want to hear? <laughs> Has ever, anyone ever come to you and said, um, "I've got a message for you," and it's not something you wanted to hear? It's maybe, uh, maybe uh, we were we talked last week about working, about how sometimes. We've got to, we've, we work in such a place or in, in a way that we get people telling us to do things we don't always want to do or the way we, we want to do them, um, that sometimes that's just, that's just the way life is. Um, sometimes we get a, a task, sometimes we get an order that we don't really like, but we have, maybe we're in a situation where we got to do it anyway. Um, in many ways... Um, it's hard to see that kind of a message as good news. But I think what Peter is trying to to communicate to us today um, is that there is good news in marriage. That that marriage, the way Peter is going to describe it for us, and, and as you just heard read, is supposed to be something that pronounces the good news to the world. So that's why the title of this message is The Good News of Marriage. And as, we are, as we're looking at this, uh, let me find my place in my Bible. Hopefully you still have your place in yours if you're following along. Um, I, the, first, the first big thing that I want us to, to come away um, from in this, from this passage is that um, wives... Because he's really talking about wives and husbands here. Um, most of our English translations make that clear. Um, even though the original language just had one word. One word for um, both wives and women. It was just one single word. And depending on how it was used, you'd have to either interpret it as just women in general. Or wives in particular. And the same thing with husbands. But but our English translations get it right. They t- they're... Peter's talking about wives. He's talking about husbands. He's talking about that relationship that they have with one another. He's talking about marriage and what it's supposed to look like. And he's saying, wives, submit for the sake of the good news. 
Wives submit to their husbands for the sake of the good news. He uses the same word that our, the English Standard Version says to be subject to your husbands. And we go, oh no, what's going on here? What's this look like? You know, this doesn't sound good. He just told servants to be, or household slaves to be subject to their masters. And now he's telling wives to be subject to their husbands? Oh my goodness, what is going on here? The likewise that begins the my English standard version is a connection. It's connecting this theme of, of submission or deference that he's been talking about this whole time when he told all of us to be subject to every human institution or every human authority, when he told servants to be subject to their masters. And now he's saying, okay, remember that you were in deference to the government, you were in deference to uh, the, uh, the human authorities, you were in deference to those who were your masters or your bosses in employment, for the sake of Christ. And remember that Christ was our example. Peter had just finished. Don't, don't forget what we just read previously and studied previously. That Jesus was the great example of somebody who had every authority. And he gave it away. He forsook it and he put it aside so that he could suffer for our sake. So that he could be not just our sacrificial offering, but our example as well of how we are to live with each other and in the world. Christ is our example. And it's how Christians keep their conduct honorable. Remember the main theme of this entire letter, which we covered a few weeks ago, was there in chapter 2, verse 12. He said to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, why? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what, that's what Peter wants his readers to understand. And so he's wanting them to keep their conduct among the Gentiles honorable, among unbelievers honorable. Keep your, the way that you live your life in the world, honorable. And here's how he wants us to do it. Now he's getting practical. And he probably is getting a little too practical for most of us. <coughs> Wives submitting or showing deference to their husbands for the good news. Submission here is an act of witness. Look at what Peter's saying. It really is. It's an act of witness. See, in that culture, wives were expected, wives were expected to adopt their husband's religion, their husband's customs, and um, social movings, and everything that the husband did, the wife was expected to just come right along and work with him and adopt all of those things. So what happens if a woman in that culture became a Christian, became a believer, and realized that, I can't go to the, the pagan temples anymore. I can't engage in those particular practices anymore. 
the wife in that in that context was already being insubordinate, was already being um, uh, argumentative, maybe not argumentative, but the she was already placing herself in a very precarious situation just by saying, "I've been saved. I've become a new creation in Christ, and now I want to I want to worship with." with God's people, and I want, to, I want to live a holy and pleasing life to God. And the husband's going, well, hold on now. We have, uh, I have a social standing here. You need to be with me. You need to be under my authority. And so it was, would have been very easy for wives to say, well, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I'm listening to Jesus. I don't have to, I don't have to follow you. I don't have to do what you want me to do. Because... I belong to God now, and all I have to do is just follow Jesus, and that's all there is to it. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. Submit to them. Defer to them, even if they're unbelieving. He, he says it very specifically, so that even if some do not obey the word, if these are, these are, are non-Christian men. These are men who don't obey the word. In other words, they haven't obeyed to the point of coming into Christ. They don't obey the word. And so Peter assumes that many of the Christian women that he's talking to are going to be married to unbelieving men. Now, let me make this straight. Uh, that doesn't mean, in this context, um, that Peter's saying, um, go out and find an unbelieving man and date him. Or go ahead and get married to an unbeliever. He's not condoning that kind of missionary dating or that kind of marriage um, to enter into that, but he's saying these women were in this marriage and then they came to Christ and now what do they do? Now how do they respond to this? See, wives have a chance to be a witness to their husbands by their respectful and pure conduct. Peter wants, wants them to, what did he say in, in, in the previous uh, verse uh, or in the previous chapter? To... Uh, keep their conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, honorable. This is how women have a chance to do that with their husbands. So that what? So that they'll see their good deeds and glorify God. So that here in verse 1, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. One without a word. Just the act of submission is a witness. Submission is an act of witness. Have you ever, well I know you guys have, you've heard, the, you've heard the phrases, the axioms, actions speak louder than words, right? We all, we've all heard that, and we know that, that if somebody says one thing, and they do another thing, <laughs> there's some inconsistency there. But when your actions line up with what you believe and what you say, that speaks much louder than many, many words. The, that's the, I think that's what Peter's trying to get at here. The conduct, the actions of the wives he's talking to are going to speak much louder than persistent words of, well, you need to just, you need to just follow Jesus. Well, you just need to come to church with me, you know. Uh, well, the husband's going to see her conduct. He's going to see her respectful attitude towards God and to him, her purity, that she's going to say, no, I'm, I am pure before God. God has made me this way, and I'm going to live a holy life. And he's going to see that. And Peter says that the, op the, the opportunity there is for him to then 
be won over to the faith. Seeing is also believing too. You heard that one? <laughs> that when they see your respectful and pure conduct, and then see it, Peter says, they'll believe it. They'll see it in action. They'll see the gospel at work in their wives. And they'll believe it. But look what else he says as, as well. He goes on to say that, really, to, if I can sum up, that appearance is an active witness. Appearance is an active witness. So now we're thinking, we're, we're looking around and going, well, who's got braided hair? Okay, who's wearing jewelry? You know, uh, who, right? Who's wearing clothing? Well, hopefully we all are, right? Um, yes. But but what he what Peter is is talking about? He's talking about in a context in which um, he wants to set up a contrast between this outward appearance and the inner character. Peter's saying, uh, let your adorning. Or excuse me, do not let your adorning be external there in verse 3. He's talking about the external appearance in contrast with, in the next, in the next verse, he's going to talk about the inner person, the hidden person, the, the inner character, this braiding of hair, um, what, what, is it, what else, uh, braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. This was, in that culture... Um, it was all this ostentatious dress and appearance um, that the wealthy women would wear in order to show how uh, show their status or maybe to show their independence from their man. Like I have a higher status now in life. Um, the the Greco-Roman culture was very diverse, and there were many women who who, who owned their own businesses who had their own households to run, apart from many men. And some of those women flaunted it. They dressed wealthy, they dressed with gaudy jewelry, they put all this clothing on, and Peter's not the only one who denounced that kind of thing. A lot of the ancient authors in Peter's time said, man, women who dress that way, um, they are being associated or identifying with unfaithfulness, or rebellion, or even immorality. These were the kinds of connotations that would come from, from women who were dressing like that. The kind of dress, or that kind of clothing, which was meant to draw attention to themselves, and their appearance, or their status, rather than their heart. We've told, <laughs> we've told our, our girls many times, right? Yes. Dress so that people see your inner character, right? Dress so that they see your inner beauty. Because what counts in the sight of God is that inner character. Look what else, look what he goes on to say. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What did God say to Samuel when Samuel was going to anoint a king. Do you remember what he said? 1 Samuel 16. He goes to see the sons of Jesse. And he says, surely this is the one you've chosen. God says, nope. I haven't chosen that man. Now, I've looked at his heart. It's not right. And he goes through. 
He goes through the list. And, 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 and God says to him, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, we look at each other's appearance, and immediately we judge. We all do. Every single one of us. We, you cannot help it. Because that's how we are, we are wired. Um, men as a gender, and specifically, right? We, we see the outer appearance, and, and we judge. So we see an appearance that goes, that's attractive. That's what I want. God is more concerned with our inner appearance. The, the inner character. God is looking at the heart. And he says that it is, what? Very precious. Literally, this meant very expensive. How interesting that Peter would say that the inner character is very expensive in contrast to the very expensive clothing that women were known to wear at that time. He says, a gentle and quiet spirit, this is the new disposition given, given by God in Christ. That when we come to Christ, we are given a new spirit, a new disposition, a new outlook, a new way of being. And that's the, that's the thing that Peter says, that's what I want you to show. Don't dress to impress, but dress to show your inner character. Because appearance is an act of witness. You know, I think uh, as I'm going through this, it's probably pretty obvious that we live in a culture, um, and we're thinking, uh, probably you can just imagine in your mind, all of the messages that we are being communicated to over and over when we watch films or TV or read magazines or look in the newspaper. Maybe not so much in the newspapers. Nobody reads the newspaper anymore. But, but we see it in magazines and the media and, and on the interwebs. Uh, we see it everywhere, right? There's this message that we're being, being given and that our girls are receiving that it's all about your appearance. They're saying, this is what is beautiful. This is what is valuable. But God comes and says, no, I'll tell you what is valuable. It's your inner character. It's your spirit. It's what Jesus does in your heart. That's what's valuable. That's what you need to let show. So we are to dress and act so that the inner character of Christ appears. But look, and look how he goes on now. He says, for this, you know, he's like, okay, now I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example. These biblical women are our examples. So if you're wondering how to behave or, or be as a woman, look to the examples that are praised in the Bible. I want to qualify that because there are some bad examples too. There are some examples in the, in the Bible of women that we shouldn't um, follow. But there are some examples there that are praised in the Bible. And, and he's talking about these holy women who hoped in God, these women, uh, I, think he's, I think he's really trying to get people to think about Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel, the women uh, of the patriarchs who 
who were this, these, these women who hoped in God and adorned themselves with submission to their husbands. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now here's, a, here's an interesting um, word that uh, I'm not advocating that we bring back into our relationships in marriage. But, but I, want you to think, I, thought, I want you to think about what that meant um, in the Hebrew context, that term of respect. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a message of, you're my master or you're my owner. You, you have that ownership of me. But it was a term of respect. It was the way you would address somebody who you were pu putting in a position of authority above you. Or you were showing, def showing deference to so Sarah called Abraham Lord and, and respected his position, his authority, and who God had created him to be. And then he also says, he says, you, you should do that too, because then you'll be his children. Just like, just like we are children of God because of what God has done in and through us. He, he's working through us to create this new spirit in us, this new way of living, this new way of thinking. And he says, so, so in acting that way and, and being like that, you're his children too. If you do good and you do not fear anything that is frightening, what would these women have to fear? Remember, I told you that, that women were expected to just follow the men. They were, they were to do what the man wanted to do. They were to practice his religion, to engage in all of his social practices and, and culture. So what happens with a woman who's saying, I want to be faithful to Jesus, but I still want to figure out how to submit and show deference to my husband? Because a man, a man in that day could threaten punishment or divorce, just like that. They could demand that their wives stop attending their worship gatherings. Or, or they would begin to engage, um, they, could, they could demand that they engage in non-Christian practices. Well, the challenge here is for women, for wives in particular, to remain faithful to Christ. Remain faithful to Christ and respect and submit to their husbands. Remembering that Jesus, Jesus he didn't revile in return. He didn't threaten when he was suffered, but he continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. So, by following the example and receiving the empowerment that comes from Christ, he says, women, you can do this. You can do good, and you cannot fear what is very legitimately frightening and terrifying. Um, I heard a testimony this week of a woman that I'll just call, I'll call Francine. Um, and I was really moved by that because I was reading through this passage and figuring, what does, what does this look like? What would this look like for a woman to, to submit even to a husband that doesn't obey? Even to a husband who's not following Jesus? And I heard this story, and I wanted to share it with you. And I'll just share some of these highlights um, from what I know. Um, Francine was saved after, uh, <coughs> after uh, being married. Um, her husband, though, remained an unbeliever. Um, but she continued to faithfully serve the Lord 
um, after, after becoming saved and attended church regularly um, and then and wrestled with what it would look like for her to obey this passage and to submit to her husband. Even when her husband demanded that she submit. Even when her husband turned it around and said, well, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me, so you better do it. No love, not as Christ loved the church, but demanding respect, demanding submission. She wrestled with how to do that. And even when, he, even when she said, even when he said, no, I don't want you to go to church on Sunday night. No, I don't want you to go to those worship gatherings at that time, because I need you here. Her, even her children didn't understand why she wouldn't stand up for herself. Why wouldn't she... Why wouldn't she step up and say, you can't treat me like that anymore. I'm not your rug. I'm not going to submit to you anymore. You're not a godly man. But she did it anyway. Eventually, after unfaithfulness, they, they, they eventually divorced. But she continued to entrust herself to the one who judges justly. She continued to walk in faith. Eventually, her children grew up and they became believers in part because of her faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness in her submission. Only then, after coming to faith, did they really understand that she was, she was trying to act in faithfulness to God. She was trying to be true to Christ and true to what He had called her to be, to submit to her unbelieving husband. What an amazing faithful example that has now influenced the next generation of her children who are walking in faith and their children are being grown up in the faith. What an awesome, awesome example of someone who submitted in the face of much fear. But she did good. She submitted for the sake of her witness and for the sake of the good news. Well, unless you think that this message here on, on marriage is all about the women, we're going to go to the men and the husbands. Because there's a word here for the husbands too. It's just one verse, but in this one verse, he packs in a lot of stuff. I'll try to unpack it for you guys um, briefly. But... Peter's message to husbands, men, listen up, honor for the sake of the good news. Honor for the good news. First of all, understanding, Peter says, is an act of witness. Understanding is an act of witness. He uses the same word, likewise, so he say, look, I got, I got a word for you, husbands, and your conduct. I got a word for you on how your conduct can be honorable among unbelievers. And he says to live with your wives in an understanding way. That live with is literally to dwell with, to cohabitate with, is what he's saying. And the connotation there is that it encompasses all aspects of what it means to cohabitate. If you know what I mean. Okay? This social, and all other aspects of their marriage are filled in right there. And he says that living with your wife is not just a physical function, but something that husbands must know how to do. 
and probably means for us that we need to learn how to do that. We need to be students of our wives <laughs> and figure out how we're to live in an honorable way, live in an understanding way, because the world is watching, and it affects our witness, the way husbands live with their wives. He says that showing honor to the woman as, ooh, this is a, this is a kind of a touchy phrase here, as the weaker vessel. So we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Weaker. Well, it could have meant a lot of things in that time. It could have meant uh, physical weakness. It could have meant illness. Um, it could have meant a variety of things. But um, the physical weakness was something that in, that in that time, in that culture, that it was somewhat taken, it was just kind of taken for granted. Like, that's kind of how it was. Men are physically stronger than most women. So, in general... That's kind of how, uh, how the, the society thought of the differences between men and women. But it can also mean, weaker can also mean without influence. Without influence. And I think that, especially in Peter's time, in that culture, that that was really true. That women had very little influence. They had very little authority. They had very little power. On the, on the whole paradigm or the, the, the scale of power, men held an inordinate amount of power and influence, whereas women in that culture did not. So Peter's, I think it was, it, he's, he is taking for granted that that is the way it is. That's the way people understood it. But instead of using that and saying, so... So, since she's the weaker vessel, make sure that you have authority over her. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he says, his intent here is that because the woman is the weaker vessel, you need to, you need to be respectful. Not denigrate, not to put down, not to put in place, but to be respectful and to be understanding. And he goes on to say, to honor so Peter, or excuse me, Paul, the Apostle Paul says something about this similarly um, in, in his letter to 1 Corinthians. He uses the same, same phrases. He says in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, and I would say, God has so composed the marriage, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, so that the wife has her needs met, the husband has his needs met, so that there's unity in the body, that the, they have the same care for one another. The word vessel is just simply, uh, it's, it can be translated as a jar or a container or even a person or a body or a thing. It's something or someone that is exercising a function. Which, which reminds me that, uh, or not, it doesn't really remind me, but I think it, <coughs> it portrays this 
relationship in marriage as one in which there are different functions. Different functions for the husband and the wife. Different functions in marriage. Men and women are different in general, but especially in, the, in marriage too. There's a different function. God gave the husband the leading role. You can see that all throughout the New Testament, especially if you want to look at, at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Husbands, you're to love the church, or love, excuse me, your wife, as Christ loved the church, sacrificed, cared for, leads the church, is the head of the church. And, the ch and women, wives, you, you submit to your husbands, you, you help your husbands in the helping role, just as the church submits to Christ and defers to Christ. Understanding here is an act of witness. And then we have to understand who we are and what God has called us to do. To lead, yes. To serve. Because God never calls anyone to lead who's not a servant leader. To understand, to be a student of our own wives. To know them. To love them. And to honor them. Because honor is also an act of witness. Honor is an act of witness. He says, he goes on, he says, Since they are heirs with you. These are co-heirs. That means the wives are equal with their husbands before God. They are equal recipients of the inheritance. The grace of life, he says. They will receive the inheritance of eternal life. And so that's huge. So he, when he says... Understand your wives because they're the weaker vessel. Don't stop there and think that because they're the weaker vessel that women are somehow inferior. Are you kidding me? They are co-heirs with you. God loves us all equally and we have all received the grace of life. There's no room for any kind of marriage relationship that reflects abuse or reflects inferiority on one member or the other. And then he says, he says, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. And I think he's not just talking about the husband's prayers, although it's easy to pick on, on the men in this case, but he's pointing out in whole, summing up this whole passage in that, that the, 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 the prayers of the marriage that the man and the woman are a marriage that is supposed to look like a household church. It's supposed to look, the marriage is supposed to look like a picture of the church. A husband and the wife, a household church. In other words, that families, families, family units, my family, Cheryl and I and our four girls, are a community. We are supposed to look like a church. I am supposed to lead and pastor and shepherd my family. And my wife is right there next to me, helping me do that. <clears throat> and my girls are learning and growing and being discipled. Not just as people, um, or as little girls, or as students, or whatever, but as women who will grow to have their own families and to have their own communities that are their own household churches. 
Honor, understanding, is an act of witness. That's why, folks, this is why we have missional communities. It's so that families can, can witness to the good news in their marriage and their relationships. That's why, we, that's why we have talked about missional communities as a place where families get together and share life together and get into the Word and hear what, what the story is all about and how that good news is supposed to affect us. Whether our families are, look like Cheryl and I and our girls or they look like something completely different. Whether, whether a single mother or a single grandmother or families with all kinds of interesting history and background and all kinds of diverse, you know, intertwinings. God's taking you right where you're at and He's saying, I want you to be a family on mission. I want you to look like a household church, to be that kind of community. That's what our missional communities are supposed to look like and reflect. So that when we pray together for one another and we pray for the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel that God is going to answer those prayers and He's going to faithfully bring those people into our midst so that, that the Gentiles may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That even if they don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct. This is not an easy message and I, I, I can understand if if you have sat here and thought, well, I don't know if I quite agree with that. I can understand it. But thus saith the Lord. It's His Word, and I, and I hope that I've, I've explained it. Explained exactly what He's trying to say here. So the challenge for us is to not then go away from this and leave it. But to come away from God's Word and, and allow it to do the work in us that needs to be done. Let me ask you a few questions. Women, how do you need to show deference to your husband? Women, how does your appearance need to change? Or young ladies? I've got a couple young ladies here. How does your appearance need to change? to more accurately reflect the inner character of Jesus in you. Men, how do you need to understand your wives? How do you need to learn? How do you need to study your wife? Maybe listen to your wife. Maybe realize that, that your wife may be in a very difficult situation, a situation with a lot of fear. The fear of, am I really going to go, am I really going to respect him and honor him and defer to my husband, the knucklehead? Am I really going to do that? And she's in a fearful place. And men, we have to be, we have to be able to step up and say, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to understand you. And maybe understand that maybe our wives are better at things than we are. Maybe our wives know more than we know. Maybe we need to count on our wives and understand that our wives have been given gifts that we need to rely on. Men, how do you need to show honor to your wife? How do you just need to honor her? Just pure and simple, just honor who she is. 
Let's pray.